Father, we thank you for your grace. It's there for us every single day. Every time we wake up, it's there. When we go to bed, it's there. Thank you for covering your people in it. Thank you that we can speak it to others, that we can share it. It's a commodity that you're not, we're not limited on. It's for all. Father, I pray as we transition into the text that once again you'd help us continue worshiping, but in the way that we respond to what you've said. You have spoken, let us hear. Let me hear even as I talk. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Jim, can we put up that first picture of the valley? That's the one. The Valley of Elah is an incredibly beautiful place in Israel. As you can see from the picture here. And on that day, there were two armies camped on either side. Saul's camp and the Philistine camp. And the problem is, as Israel and the Philistines were fighting, this is probably about 3,000 years ago, and and as they're considering the battle, what they realize is there's a valley between them, and they're on hills. And so one of them, one of these armies, has to advance into the valley to take on the other, giving the other army the high ground and an advantage, so neither of them advance. And so the Philistine army decides, we're going to settle this in a different way. And they send their champion out, Goliath of Gath. And there's probably nobody that's been more described in the Bible, perhaps, physically described, that is, than Goliath of Gath. I mean, if you think about it, the description is supposed to put fear in you, even as you read it. It goes something like this. He stands over nine feet tall. His helmet of bronze probably weighs about 15 pounds. He wears a bronze coat of mail weighing maybe 100 pounds. He has bronze armor on his legs. He has a bronze javelin. The shaft of his spear is described as like a weaver's loom, That maybe is two to two and a half inches thick, that spear. The head of the spear might weigh as much as 15 pounds. The spear itself may be 26 feet long. And his voice thunders across that valley. Give me a man that we may fight. You're Saul's servants, right? And we're the Philistines, right? So give me a man that we may fight. And if you win, we'll be your servants. If we win, you'll be our servants. Give me a man. No one responds. No one does anything until the shepherd enters. 
The shepherd boy comes in. He left his sheep in the care of another. And his father sends him for three reasons. Three very specific reasons. His father says, take some food to the army. More than likely, that would get you access to how things are going. You know, here's food. We'll let you in. Bring some food. Secondly, find out where your brothers are and how they're doing. Three brothers, the three oldest, that each got passed over to be king, as we looked at last week. Find your brothers. Find out how they're doing. And the third thing the father asked him to do, bring back a token. Bring back a token. Jesse was probably thinking, bring back a lock of each of their hair to show that they are well. Bring back a token. And by the end of this day, David would accomplish all three of his father's requests that day. All three. But maybe in a different way. He goes in and starts talking to his brothers, and his brothers and others are telling him what's going on. And as they're talking, he hears it. He hears the voice for himself. And actually he sees how the army reacts because Goliath walks out, you know, and he walks out and he walks really close to the lines, their lines, you know, the soldiers' lines. He's like right there. He's yelling like right there. And when Goliath walks out, the Israelites run back, you know. They, they retreat from the line that they were just holding. They're that scared. And David sees this. And he's infuriated. Who, who is this uncircumcised Philistine to defy the armies of the living God. Who is he to do this? Well, this is Goliath of Gath. And they tell him all the stuff about Goliath, about his, his uh, spear and his helmet and, and all the rest of him, how tall he stands. Well, you can see how tall he is. And then they say, and for the person who goes out to kill him, the king will give riches his daughter's hand in marriage, and the family will no longer have to pay taxes. Oh, man. (laughs) No taxes. And you could almost see a grin coming across David's face. Tell me again what will be done for the man who takes care of this disgrace. And so they tell him again. They tell him again. And he speaks with bravado. He speaks of confidence. I'm going to go kill this giant. I'm going to do this. It's almost like even at that point, before he's even named to fight, before they even say, here's the guy, he knows how this is going to play out. Right? He's already seen it in his mind's eye. There's only one destiny today. And that's for the nine-foot guy to fall. And so this bravado is carried back to the king. People are talking now to Saul and and talking about this young shepherd boy and what he's saying. And Saul says, bring him in. So the shepherd boy goes in. And Saul sees him. This is the guy that's been playing the harp for me. Not this. This guy's not a warrior. He's not a fighter. And yet he says, David says, let no one lose heart on the count of this Philistine. 
your servant will go out. And of course Saul says, why? How how can that be? I mean, this guy's been training since his youth to fight. And you're only a youth. You're inexperienced. And he says, actually, there's a reason for such confidence. There's a reason David already knows what's going to happen in this battle. He killed a lion that was going to attack sheep. He killed a bear that was going to attack sheep. And if God could save him from the, from the bear and save him from the lion, certainly he'll save him from Goliath. Okay. And you can see in the story that, that the king is, it seems like he, he, he's with David on it. You know, he's like, okay, I, I see that. David's confidence is, is contagious. And so he says, but I've got to send you out with my armor. Put on my armor at least. Well, David tries it on to humor the king. Probably what the king was thinking was, if I send this guy out and he kills that giant in my armor... The key phrase there being, in my armor. Then it's not only David's victory, it's my victory too. My armor on this guy. We know how that is, you know. We we like to wear um, name brand clothing and feel good about the other people that wear them. My armor on this young man. But David tries it on and it doesn't fit right. I love the King James he says, I can't wear these. I, ha- I haven't proved them. I haven't proved them. And so he takes them off. And he goes out with two items on his person. The shepherd's staff and a sling. Now, not a sling like this, you know. Not a Dennis the Menace sling. He goes out with a sling as is used in battle. Yes, there were, there were groups of people called slingers, and armies employed them. They'd often be in the rear of, of the army, and they would sling rocks, lead balls, projectiles at the enemy army. This, this was not an unknown thing. But it certainly wasn't looked on as any way to fight a giant with a sword and a 26-foot-long spear covered in armor You don't fight with a sling. You just don't do that. But there is something to be said for the sling. It's just a leather strap sort of thing with a pouch in the middle. Someone that knows how to use it, you could probably get six to seven revolutions per second coming at you faster than a major league pitch. That's going to hurt. Okay, that's going to hurt. So, it's not that David was defenseless. He went out with a sling and a staff. So he walks out, picks up five stones from a brook, because for goodness sake, if the first one misses, you better have another. You better have another. Because staff, a staff is good for sheep, not so good for a giant. So he gets five stones. He walks out. 
the giant comes out, walks out with his shield bearer, and he shouts, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? See, he sees the shepherd's staff and he sees it for what it is. I don't know that he even sees the sling, that little leather strap with a pouch. I don't even know if he sees it, but he sees the staff and he's like, I'm not a dog. This is a disgrace. You send out this young boy and he despises David because of how young he is, how handsome he is, and he's carrying a staff for goodness sake. But on this day, On this day, his taunts that have thundered across the valley for the last 40 days, the last 40 days, there's been no response to the taunts. There's been silence across the valley. Only the sound of the people running back in fear. But on this day, a voice thunders back to the whole Philistine camp and to the giant. And this is what is said. You come at me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies to the host of the Philistines this day, to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord, Yahweh, saves not with the sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's and He will give you into into our hand. You notice what He does not say. He doesn't say, I come at you with sling and staff. He says, I come at you in the name of the Lord of hosts. You come at me with spear and javelin. And so as the giant motions him to come, he runs down and advances. And, and you, can, you can almost see it in the blink of an eye. He wastes absolutely no time slinging the stone, hitting Goliath right in the forehead. And, it, and, and the scripture says that Goliath, the only, way to, the only way this would work is if the stone hits him with such force even though he's a giant, he, he stumbles back and yet he ends up forward face first. So the stone actually couldn't knock him flat on his back. He's so big. But he stumbles forward unconscious. Probably not dead yet until David comes up and takes his own sword, Goliath's sword, and cuts off his head. He takes both sword and head with him. He's brought back his token for that day. Can we pray again before we talk about what that story means? Father, um, it's a story we've heard for years and years and years and years. It's a story that's in our pop culture. David versus Goliath. The small versus the big the young versus the experienced. I pray that you'd help us understand it rightly today and see how awesome you are in this text. Help us understand it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Would you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17? Uh, People have taught this story, Christians have taught this story, hundreds of years, I'm sure thousands of years. And the question is, is this a story about defeating your giants, the giants in your life? Partially. Is this a story about being yourself and not trying to wear someone else's armor, but being yourself? Partially. Is this story historically about David's rise to fame? Partially. But if you want to know the clear answer to the question, what is this story about? Beyond whatever your Sunday school teacher said, and I have nothing against Sunday school teachers, they're some of the best people in the world. But maybe, maybe we've, even pastors have talked about this. This passage is about facing the giants. Right? That's what it's about. Uh, clearly, the passage in uh, chapter 17 is found when David speaks to Goliath. That is the meaning of the passage. It's in verse 45. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of, the, of Yahweh Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day Yahweh will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head, This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know. Here it is. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know it's not by the sword or the spear that Yahweh saves, for the battle is Yahweh's, and he will give you all into our hands. The Lord, that's Yahweh, saves I think that has to be the clearest meaning of the story of David and Goliath. Yes, it's a giant. Yes, the young shepherd boy goes out to fight him. But, but this story overarching is about the fact that God is a saving God. That's who he is. He saves. I'd like to briefly, and very, again, very briefly, talk about three different ways God saves. What he saves us from. Number one from this story, I want to talk about the bystanders for a second. The bystanders are the armies of Israel and King Saul. They're bystanders because they're not taking action. They're bystanders, I mean, the most movement they get is when they retreat, when Goliath comes out each day for 40 days. By the way, 40 being the number of testing, right? Jesus is in the desert for 40 days. Israel's in the wilderness for 40 years. And Goliath bellows out his taunts for 40 days. The Lord saves from the very thing that Saul was feeling and that the armies of Israel were feeling. Fear and doubt. The Lord saves, number one, from fear and doubt. There are things in this life that scare each and every one of us. And I'm sure, according to this story and according to our lives, death is one of those things. I'll be going down to uh, Watoma on Tuesday to be at the funeral of a dear friend who just lost her battle with pancreatic cancer. 
I believe she was 59. Um, wonderful woman of God. Wonderful family. Some of the people in her family are some of my closest friends from my time in Watoma. Death is a scary proposition. And yet, our belief is that the sting of death has been removed because one died for us. And because Jesus died for us, the sting of death doesn't hurt as much because we know it's only a doorway into eternal life. And even though none of us have been through that door yet, we have this hope that we, 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 can't, we can't take it off a shelf and show people like you could show someone a sword, you know. Some people hope in the sword, and, and, and the sword gives them a feeling of security, power. But, but against death, we are powerless. And so instead, God decides to, to infuse us with hope knowing that when we die, we enter into his presence in a more full way and we go to be with him forever. And he saves us from the fear of death. I've been around Christians in their last days who are fighting for that hope because they know their days are numbered. I've been with Christians who, yet I have seen the fear in their eyes. I'm not going to pretend like it's not there but I know that that fear has been diminished. I know that it has been decreased because of the hope of Christ. And I've been with other people, Christians, that have faced death fearlessly, it seems, on the outside because of their strong conviction that they're about to go to be with their Savior. He cures us of our fears. He helps us with them. And he helps us with our doubts. Because none of us have been to the other side. But we know it's there. And he helps us with our doubts. He saves us from our doubts. And that's a clear teaching in this story. We can face our fears and our doubts with the confidence of David. I mean, David... How do you know you're going to strike down this giant? How can you talk like that? How, how can you be this young guy that already knows how it's going to play out? He, I want David's confidence. I hope you can have his confidence. How does he know the giant will fall? How do you know when you close your eyes in death, you open them in the Lord's presence? You see? It's faith. It's trusting God. It's actually the Lord saving you from the feelings that would betray your faith. This is what the Lord does. The Lord saves. Let me go on. Number two. There's a lot of talk in this story about weapons. Right? Weapons. The bronze helmet of Goliath. You know, the weight of his armor. You know, again, scholars think 70 to 100 pounds is probably the ballpark for how much uh, the bronze coat of mail that he's wearing, you know, to, to defend himself. His spear is described, the weight of the spearhead, for goodness sake. 
I mean, all of this is in vivid, painstaking, fear-inducing, nightmare-creating detail. It's on purpose. It was reality that day. And the writer wants you to know what the stakes were. And the writer wants you to know that when David was going out to fight him with all that confidence, he puts on Saul's armor and he realizes, I can't go in this. God's not going to save me using traditional means, traditional methods. He's going to use his own way. And so when you get to the battle, the only time weapons are noticeably silent Again, I'll say it again. The only time weapons are noticeably silent is when David says, you come at me with sword and spear, weapons. But I come at you not with weapons. I come at you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts. All right? That's when we stop talking about weapons. Even though, yes, he had to use weapons to kill the guy, but that's not how he saw the battle going. The Lord did this. The Lord will do this, future tense. He will give us the victory. So let's say this, number two. All this talk about weapons and the Lord saving, not with the sword and not with the spear. The Lord saves according to his powerful ways. And that day, the Lord's powerful way was a sling and a stick. The stick didn't have to do anything other than make Goliath angry. You know, (laughs) you're going to beat me with that thing like a dog? The sling did its work. The stone flew. I'm not trying to take away from what David did. He had probably been training with a sling since his youth. There's probably something ironic when Saul says, you know, you're a young guy, and the Goliath, he's been training since his youth. David had probably been training since his youth with a sling. Would you look at the text with me in 38? Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go on these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. Or King James, I love it. I haven't proved them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with a sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. And then verse 45, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. God has a way. And it's not the way of Saul's armor It's not the way of the sword. It's not the way of the experienced warrior Goliath. It's in the way of the shepherd. The Lord saves according to his powerful way. So that means in your life and my life, we're going to encounter difficult things, obstacles in our way, and there's going to be a natural way of trying to remove those obstacles. There's going to be a, 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 a way we're, we're used to dealing with things. And then the Lord's going to come in and say, I'm going to deal with that my way. And you're going to say, that way is ridiculous. That way doesn't work. 
And God says, but if I do it and lend my power to it, it'll work. It'll work. That stone will fly true. I remember dear friends who lost their daughter in her infancy in the hospital. And I would be very content if I never had to attend another funeral where the the casket is this big. I'd like never to be there again, although I know I will. I know I will. I remember talking to this family, talking about their grief. And I remember them telling me that they've used every opportunity in the hospital to talk about their hope in Christ, even as their daughter was perishing. Now, that's not the way I want the gospel to go out. I want to preach it. I want you to build friendships with people and tell them, you know, just be friends with people and tell them about Christ. I don't want there to be the story of I'm in the hospital with my dying daughter and I'm sharing the gospel now. I'm distributing the word of God. That's not the way I want this to go down. But that's the way it went down. And, and, and I don't remember the clear, I, I don't have the clarity to remember that many years back to like, did people receive Christ? I, I can't tell you what happened, so I'm not going to make something up. I can just tell you that in that family's grief, they shared the gospel. That's it. That's not the way. And, and let me connect this to the events in our country this week. The way to promote morality and to promote a biblical definition of marriage between one man and one woman for life, that that wasn't upheld in our courts, right? That wasn't, God's morality didn't win the day that day. But God has other powerful ways of seeing people honor Him, right? Of seeing people submit to Him. The kingdom goes out even if the political system fails, Right? So we don't lose heart. You know, we open Romans chapter 1. We open Romans chapter 1. And we see, verse 18, the wrath of God's being revealed from heaven against the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So, We've seen a suppression of truth this week. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them over to sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Verse 26, Because of this God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. There's judgment here, you know. There's judgment for us as a country. That's just the Word of God. So you read this, and it's it's a little bit staggering. It takes the breath away a little bit. But then you read verse 16. 
which should overshadow all, everything else Paul says in Romans 1, verse 16, one of Martin Luther's favorite verses in the entire Bible. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. I don't need the courts to reveal God's righteousness at the end of the day. Yes, I'd prefer and pray that our judicial system would reflect the morality of God in the Scripture. Yes, I'll keep praying that. I think that's great desire to have because God lends governments His authority. That's Romans 13. No authority has been instituted except what God has instituted, right? So normally, the normal way of doing things is for the government to enforce morality as best they can. But the gospel, in verse 16, is the power of God. The government has some lended power from God. But the gospel is the power of God, right? And that's where our hope is at. No court decision stops the gospel. We keep declaring it. And when people submit to it, they, they change their lives accordingly. And then God's morality goes forth. The church stands as a light to the world, a light in the darkness. And if judgment is coming, the gospel will still go forth and will still be faithful to declare it. So I'm not, personally, I'll just say this, I'm not troubled because God will keep advancing his kingdom. He promises to do that because the gates of Hades cannot stand against it. We're an offensive force and we don't win battles through the justice system even though I still pray for God's morality to be honored in this country of freedom. So the weapons, the weapons. One more thing I'll say about weapons. Man, I am preaching it today. We're going long. Okay. Okay. Um, One more thing I'll say about weapons, and I can't say much. Uh, Our weapons are the armor of God, remember? Just, Just to remind you of that. Helmet of salvation, right? Breastplate of righteousness, Belt of Truth, uh, if you're a teenager here, Pastor Andrew just went through a series on that recently. I mean, this is how we fight. And you'll notice none of those weapons are like some sort of deep, unknown thing none of us know about. It's just the basics of the faith. Salvation, it's a helmet. The, the, The belt of truth, truth, period. Breastplate of righteousness. Sword of, of, of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Boots of the Gospel. These are just the basics. This is what we teach our kids in Sunday school. So the, so the thing that you learned from your youth, some of you, it is the exact same thing that you're fighting with as an adult. Isn't that just like David? Do, do you see the beautiful blend here? He'd been using this sling probably from a boy, from his, boy, his boyhood, and now he uses it as a man to do the work of God. You've known about salvation, some of you, from your childhood. And you're fighting with the same weapons as an adult. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that like confidence producing? It hasn't changed. We just go deeper in them. And now they fell giants. Okay, number three. Number three. 
the giant. Let's talk about the giant for a second. Uh, you'll notice that what David calls him uh, is an uncircumcised Philistine. I'm not going to turn back to Samuel. I'm just keep moving. Uh, David calls Goliath, and I quote, an uncircumcised Philistine. And then he says, who is he to defy the armies of God? Right? So there's this clear, like, he is the enemy of God's people and God himself, and we are God's people, and God is for us. And God is against his enemies. He, he likes to save his enemies too, let's add that. But, but at the end of the day, if you're an enemy of God, you're not in a good place. Number three, God saves from the enemy. God saves from the enemy. Our enemies are not primarily human beings, not people of this group or that group or that political thought or that morality. Our enemies are ultimately, Ephesians says, spiritual forces of darkness, Ephesians 6. Primarily, that's our enemies. So behind the things we see in our country happening now, behind the doubts that you feel, behind the sin you see in your family or in your own life, behind all of that are spiritual forces of darkness. That's the enemy. And the Lord saves from that enemy. He gives you new life. He, uh, Romans 6, He gives you newness of life. And I'll cut it short here, but uh, Goliath ends up falling by the end of this story, and we know that every single enemy of God's is made to bow on the last day. We know that Satan is thrown into a lake of fire with all of his demons. We know that people that have cursed God, people that have not accepted his forgiveness, also go there, which is why we proclaim the gospel the way we do. But it doesn't go well for the enemies of God and when Jesus died on the cross and rose back to life, that was the victory that we have even now. Darkness has been dispelled by light, and that light lives in you. The enemy is a defeated enemy. He's still got teeth. Goliath was going to fall that day, but he still had a sword. He still had that long spear, but he was going down. David knew it, and we know it. That's the confidence we can have in the Lord. So my prayer is for you that you have that sort of confidence that the Lord saves. He saves today. He saves in your eternity. And that every enemy that stands before him must fall. I'd still like to sing, even though we're three minutes over even now. So worship team, would you come up? Let's pray. Lord Jesus.